For some of you, it's your first time. For others, it is not. But for today, I would like to welcome you all to Epic Realms. and enemies, heroes and villains, welcome to Epic Realms. I am your host, Nick. Today, normally you would be expecting my guest to be Luke Daniels, but unfortunately, uh, due to health reasons, he is not able to make it and we're going to have to reschedule. But luckily for all of you, an awesome person stepped forward to fill in the shoes and the shoes are not easy to fill, but the person who's with us can easily fill them. He is an author, role player, and one of our great friends, Eric Scott Deby. How are you doing? <laughs> hey, thanks for having <laughs> Welcome me. Welcome back. As long as you're not giving me Luke Daniels' microphone to uh, try and fill, because <laughs> uh, that guy is real talented, and I just I sound like a normal person. Yeah, he does some crazy stuff, doesn't he? It's amazing. Do you, do you listen to a lot of audiobooks yourself? I do. Um, and that skill set is one that never ceases to amaze me and impress me. Um, particularly those narrators who can make something sound like it's a full cast and it's really just one guy. Right. You're like, Wait a minute. How is this even happening? Like the guy who does the, um, the Star Wars novels, because I've listened to a bunch of Star Wars novels recently and I, I completely blanking on his name right now. I'll look it up because, you know, we're on our computers here. Right, right, right. Um, we can do that. Thompson? Something like that. Uh, anyway. Um, is it's just remarkable. Like at first you're like, yeah, this is a guy doing a voice, but the longer it goes, the more you get used to it. And the more it sounds like, um, you know, I like a bunch of different people and it's, right. it's remarkable. I, I just, as a role player and as a DM, I very much envy that skill set. I think it's Mark Thompson. Okay. That's the guy anyway. I just um, did a Star Wars, listened to a Star Wars novel. One of the guests we had was Delilah S. Dawson. And she did oh, the Phasma book. Yes. And the narrator for that book. Um, and I forget, I forget the actress that played Phasma. She was in Game of Thrones. She played Brianna Tarth. Uh, but the audiobook narrator. That's I thought, uh, Gwendolyn Christie you're talking I about. I thought for sure that they got her to come in and narrate her own voice for that character in the audiobook. The narrator got her mm -hmm. voice spot on. And I was like, holy crap. And I had to go and look. I was like, did they get her to do the, do the voice acting for, for the Phasma book? Nope. Yeah. It was uh, January Lavoie. Yep. It was her. So it, yeah. was, it was remarkable ridiculous talent. And amazing. Do you have, are there, were there any books that you had that you were like really excited to hear? Did you listen to any of your own books on Audible or in audio? Or do you have, have a hard time with that? I have listened to a couple of them. I haven't listened to all of them um, because, I don't know, it's just a, a long, a lot of time. And right. I'm, I'm not one of those authors who um, obsessively read stuff that I've already published. Right. Because when I do, I start thinking about, oh, that's a little mistake. Oh, I would have done that differently now. Because whenever I, I'm looking at something I published, it's at least two or three years ago that I wrote that. Right. And my style will have evolved since then. So um, I've listened to a couple of my audiobooks, and fortunately, in certain of those circumstances, I was able to go, "Oh yeah, I'm enjoying this. This is pretty good. I'm yeah. liking how this went." Um, my uh, the audiobook of Blind Justice, which uh, I actually had the audiobook before I had the printed book, so I just listened to the audiobook to oh. start with. And that was pretty fun. I had a good time doing that. That's a real dark book, but um, the audio made it made it very entertaining. Yeah. Did you work with uh, any of the voice actors or narrators? Did they contact you? Or was that at the time where they were like, don't contact the writer? Because <laughs> I know that was a thing for a while where they told the audiobook narrators to don't talk to the writer. 
and just, you know, go with the producers or the directors or whatever. I have always had a certain amount of separation between myself and an audiobook narrator. Um, I have only ever known much about the audiobooks after they were published okay. with like two exceptions. Once I had an audiobook narrator contact me that they were going to do one of my books. And so they wanted to ask me about a couple of the names to pronounce, okay. which I thought was great. And that was very, very good. Okay. Um, and the second thing was back when Watsi was doing some of its Forgotten Realms novels as audiobooks, they put together a pronunciation guide. Mm-hmm. And so they reached out to each of us authors to say, okay, here are all these names. Tell us how to pronounce these so that we can tell the audiobook narrators, which had mixed results. Right. Right. Some of them were dead on. Some of them eh, leave a little to be desired. But, you know, you do your best. Every book is a it's an adaptation in the reader's mind. And so an audiobook is an adaptation of an adaptation. Yeah. You're already getting it filtered through another reader, which is an interesting experience, particularly if you compare and contrast them. If you read the written work and then you listen to the audiobook or vice versa, um, you can see different nuances. So nice. When um when you're doing that, do are you one of the people that goes, you know, as long as you're enjoying the book, you know, pronounce it however you want. Cause I've, I've heard people say that where they're like, yeah, basically. you know, I don't, I don't care how you pronounce it, pronounce it, how you want to pronounce that name. And some people are like, this is how it's pronounced. you got that wrong. <laughs> so I wasn't quite sure which way, which way you tended to go on that. I tend to be of the camp of it is your story to read, make of it as you will yeah. pronounce it. However you like, um, I have a good friend who I worked with in the Forgotten Realms for many years, um, Brian R. James, in fact, uh, who wrote Grand History of the Realms and is just kind of a like mm-hmm. a big realms nerd who started publishing actual realm stuff because uh, wizards noticed him and went, whoa, this guy, this is great. Yeah. Um, but he has a very distinctive and odd way of pronouncing realms words, which are basically never the way you ever hear anyone else <laughs> pronouncing them. Right. And it would take actually talking with Ed or with Bob to get down to how those words are supposed to be pronounced. But he was absolutely right with one word, which was Menzo Berenzon, which is the name of the drow city in the Forgotten Realms. Yeah. That is the subject of many of Bob's most popular novels. Yeah. I always pronounced it growing up, um, Menzo, um, Menzo Berenzon. That's how, we, that's how I was pronounced it growing up as well. But when you, when you hear Bob pronounce it, it's Menza Barons on. And I'm yeah. like, whoa, okay. And Brian looks at, when we first heard that, Brian looks at me, he's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is, uh, is, is there anybody, so you have your, your stream that you mm-hmm. work on with the, mm-hmm. with the dungeon scrawlers. Yep. Uh, how many different other authors and creators do you have on there? Like, I know we touched on it briefly last time. Um, we've not as many as I'd like is okay. what it is. Uh, we've had guests, uh, guest DMs, guest players. Um, but most of the time, coordinating those schedules is very difficult. Right. And um, all of us dungeon scrawlers uh, have lots of stuff going on, particularly this year has been really busy for all of us. So um, we've kind of fallen down on the job of getting as many guests as we'd like, but uh, hopefully that's going to change. I would like to have at least one guest a month going forward um, and we'll, we'll see who we can get. Um, An exception is when we do extra life um, because every year um, we've done an extra life event where we actually do game for 24 hours straight. Yeah. And um, I always run something that starts that goes from midnight to 4 a.m. to start Extra Life. And then I come back and DM um, an extra long session of the actual story-based game, the Westgate Irregulars game, at the end of that day. So so I I think I run like eight to 10 hours of gaming during that Extra Life thing, but I rely on other people during the other time because I'm unconscious for a lot of the day. And... um, uh, this year we had some really great people. We had um, Trevor Bettis running a thing. 
um, and uh, um, his his campaign, which was called uh, "Restaurant at the End of the Multiverse," I believe, um, went on kind of fun. <laughs> went on to be recognized by a, a certain award show, which we didn't win, but they it was an honor to be nominated. So nice. That sounds um, kind of like a like a. Uh... Oh, what's the series? The Galaxy, the the book, uh, Hitchhiker's, Hitchhiker's Guide. Guide to the Galaxy. Sounds like it was. It sounds almost like yeah. something that would be kind of right along those lines. I think it's. I think it's a bit inspired. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, and uh, Extra Life. We managed to raise. Uh, I don't know exactly five thousand dollars, ten thousand nice. dollars, something like that. And was that for, through uh, the? That was through the, the your st- Twitch stream. Mm-hmm. Okay. Was that from um, direct there? Did you guys have Extra Life links and stuff you were you were promoting on on there? Uh, it was out? it was directly through through us, but I mean, it was you know working through the overall extra life. Uh, I just wasn't sure program. if it was like people were doing Twitch donations or if they were like clicking links to go to Extra Life to do them. Or... Yes, it was okay. the latter. Okay. They'd be clicking actual links to go to Extra Life to do that. Uh, we've been slowly increasing in Twitch uh, revenue, which is nice. Yeah. Um, we still don't make a lot of money, as I mentioned. We all still have our day jobs, but right. uh, you know, it's it's helping to uh, keep everything going, and uh, we're learning to use the tool sets better. Yeah. Um, in a way, watching our stream is a little bit like watching uh, a series of middle to old age dogs learn some new tricks. Yeah, yeah. I have basically learned how to use dynamic lighting in roll 20 now which is amazing right and for a long time i did not know how to do that and it it just i was so i was so terrified of just looking terrible on the stream which i should really let go of because there's no way you're not going to look terrible on the stream at times you just right. gotta not hit not have oh, ego okay. in it right? do you do you run are you the one running the stream or are you like they're running the game and somebody else is running the stream uh yang yang who does most of our tech stuff mm-hmm. is running the actual stream. Okay. Uh, I am running Roll20 typically, okay. but he is the one who is focusing on it from a player perspective. Yeah. Because if I put it on from my perspective as the DM, People uh, see you'd everything. see everything. Yeah. Right. So, yep. Yep. I, I get that. Uh, we have done that as well. So I completely understand. And you guys mm-hmm. get some really good numbers on there too. So, that's every time I walk in, I was like, yeah, they're doing awesome. They got like a couple hundred people in there hanging out and watching. And, yeah. And it's partly, it's partly our partnership with idol champions of the forgotten realms. They, uh, they send some people over to us and we, uh, um, give them a free chess code every week. And like, that could be a, a big seller for, uh, for people to come check out our stream. And a lot of them just hang out. They're like, Hey, this is cool. Let's listen. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. But yeah. That cross promotion is, um, is pretty great. And uh, Aaron, one of um, one of our people on our team, has recently become a writer at Idol Champions, and so oh, she's okay. actually writing some of the uh, some of the stuff for the adventures. When you have her on your stream, you should yep. definitely ask her about it because I will definitely do that. Actually, really she cool. Was, she was actually streaming a writing thing today, where she was you know doing the thing where you write for a certain amount of time and then talk about what you did and stuff yep. like that on the stream. I was watching was that going. as well. <laughs> that was, that was during our conversation where I was struggling, like, who am I going to get on? What's Eric, are you around? Are you busy? And then I saw she was streaming. I was like, Oh no, he's participating in the stream. Maybe he's not busy or maybe he's is busy. So. <laughs> yeah. I think I wrote 1500 words or so between answering your questions <laughs> and um, communicating on discord with people. The, well, I was just a so I was just a blip on your radar, is what you're saying, and you're in your a blip in your word count. <laughs> I multitask. It, it is true. Um, but the uh, the concentration checks are pretty neat. That's yeah. um, what you were alluding to. Uh, we sit down. Uh, Aaron leads us through writing or working or folding laundry. Uh, one person uh, pressure washed his driveway one time. <laughs> specifically carving out letters dungeon scrawlers and then our little <laughs> logo uh and we work for 25 minutes and then we rest for five minutes during which time we have just a little like conversation relax uh aaron has us do hand stretches or go on a scavenger hunt uh and it's it's pretty neat and then we'll repeat the process uh for a couple hours and um it's amazing how much productivity you can get out of doing it like that yeah, definitely. Well, and you get interaction with other people. So you get your downtime. And then when you're like, your brain is starting to get to that point where you're like, I'm a little frizzled. I wish I had something else. I need a break. Mm-hmm. Luckily enough, it's break time. Exactly. 
it's nice to have people to hold you accountable to. Right. Like if you're doing this as a group with other people who are doing it at the same time, you can feel like, like you're letting them down if you, if you don't actually do it. The, the biggest impediment to any writer is always that very same writer, right? right. It's always your own mind going, no, I don't really want to do this. I'd rather be doing something else. And you just got to like find ways to make that voice shut up. Yeah, definitely. Who else is on there? You got, uh, who did we talk about earlier? It was off stream. Um, I got on my calendar. It's right there. You mean um, the Dungeon Rhiannon. Scrollers? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Rhiannon Held is yep. a uh, urban fantasy and space opera writer. And mm-hmm. um, uh, she has written stuff about uh, werewolves. It was pretty great. And also about uh, space and some magic and maybe werewolves in space. I'm not sure. It's okay. She writes some very cool creative stuff. And uh, yeah, you're going to have her on your, sh- on your podcast um, at some point. Yeah. And, May, uh, May 2nd, she'll be on. Yeah. She'll have good stuff to talk about. She is an archeologist in her real life. Oh, that's amazing. And so she brings a certain amount of, uh, amount of knowledge about history oh. and how, um, how cultures work and the things that they leave behind, which is fantastic in the context yeah. of a Dungeons and Dragons sort of game, right? right? Which is all about exploring ancient ruins and histories. Yeah. That's great to be both an author and to have that, that kind mm-hmm. of background. Uh, who else is on the show? Let's see. So we talked about Yang Yang, mm-hmm. um, who is a writer and a filmmaker. He's an actor and um, producer and just all around great guy to hang out with. He's very positive and very, uh, very yeah, likable. And I think he was doing something with magic as well. Um, I think he said today he was working on something. I don't know what. Yeah, I I didn't hear everything that he said he was working on right now. I know he works on um, choose your own adventure style games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which um, I think he works. He has written or is writing something with uh, Choice of Games, which is a an app like a visual novel yeah. style gaming app. Um, and he's also involved in the uh, Clarion West. Um, group, which is a, a thing here on the West coast. Uh, they meet here in Seattle and it's like a, it's like a workshop team building exercise for writers. Okay. They meet over the course of a couple months and just kind of like train themselves up. It's a, uh, it's, it's fairly highbrow literary sort of writing. And, uh, he has put out, uh, a number of, a number of smaller works and he is a, he's a fascinating person to talk to. Yeah. Let's see. So we have three other people. Okay. We have S- Stephen Merlino, who is our grizzled old veteran on the uh, on the squad. Okay. Um, he is the author of the Jack of Souls series, which I think is about his D and D character in advance. Like he wrote it several years ago. Yeah, yeah. But he he it's about like a, a kind of roguish, sort of magical sort of guy. Um, getting involved in shenanigans, which is how I would describe his character Sturge <laughs> as well. Um, and uh, Stephen has this habit on the stream of accidentally muting himself and he'll get in totally in character. <laughs> He's going to say something and it's going to be profound. It's going to be amazing. And then he'll just be like, <laughs> and we're like, Stephen, Stephen, you're muted. And so on the stream bingo cards, we have, Steven, you're muted as one of the spaces <laughs> because it happens every game. So it's a power space. That's what we're saying. <laughs> um, yeah, he, Steven, is actually the brainchild of the Dungeon Scrollers. He was oh, the yeah. first one who um, uh, thought to put us together. And he reached out to me as a uh, local DM that he knew. Um, Steven and I didn't really know each other before we started talking about this, oh, yeah. but he had... He had read my work and um, heard me talk about gaming on certain podcasts and stuff before. Yeah. So he was like, "Hey, you want to, you know, look into doing this?" So we put together a, a group from there uh, of his acquaintances, my acquaintances, people that you know crossed over. Um, actually, when it came to it, uh, basically everyone in the group knew at least two other people in the group. 
No one was just like, I am just this person's friend who yeah. came to the group. Everyone is connected to someone else in some other way. Nice. Like I brought in Aaron. Aaron is my old friend. Uh, and Aaron is also one of Rhiannon's good friends. Rhiannon and I are good friends. So mm -hmm. we have that um, sequence going. And Stephen brought in Yang Yang, who I had never met. But Yang Yang is mutual friends with Randy Henderson, who's another one of our players. Okay. And also with um, Emily Tang, who works at Wizards on the magic side. Yeah. Um, and so it's just all these connections and it made for a great group. Yeah. Um, so Randy is a um, fantasy writer. Um, he wrote a series called Fin Fancy Necromancy, which is about a... Um, let me Love see if I name. can describe this. It, it's been many years. Let me, let me see. It's about a, uh, a necromancer, okay, who I think was trapped in another world since the 80s. So all of his cultural references and cultural paradigm are from the 80s, but he's <laughs> operating in more or less the modern world. Oh, that's, that's the best. And it's, it's kind of comedic <laughs> urban fantasy. Nice. And um, he's a, he's a, um, a longtime writer, a longtime friend. Uh, and then we have Emily Tang, who um, works at Wizards. She has to do a disclaimer every show uh, to say that her opinions and Wizards' opinions are not necessarily the same. <laughs> and uh, she works on the magic side. And she has okay. recently uh, sold a story to an anthology. I don't remember the details, but she was real excited about it. And I'm um, looking forward to it. Yeah, excellent. And I look forward to getting all of them, all yeah. of them awesome. to come on the show. You definitely should. They are all fascinating people. I would not have been running a game with them for almost two years now, right? Uh, if they were not fascinating people. Yeah, yeah, and and like similarities, but also differences, which mm -hmm. is what's really a, a lot of fun because like they don't necessarily have easily like one person works you know doing magic stuff, the other person works you know doing you know this style of book writing. So it's like yeah. a different you know a, a little exactly. bit different dichotomy, but. But all they coming have, together for role playing. They have very different perspectives on role playing and gaming too, and different styles that they prefer. Um, some of them are heavy role players, and some of them are very much into mechanics. Yeah. And some of them, you know, combine the two. And generally, our game combines the two. We have long, harrowing, deep scenes of deep role playing, and then we also have like huge pitch battles against a vampire where we knock down a load bearing statue and it collapses the sewers. Right. So, right. <laughs> and like I try and I, as a DM, it presents us this unique challenge. And I say unique, even though it's, it's not at all unique. Like every DM has to deal with this, right. but you have to find the right balance of um, what all your players, what's going to please all your players. Yeah. Uh, and we have some players who are very much into let's plan out how this is going to go. Let's talk about the character beats we want to hit, the points in the campaign that are going to happen. Tell me sort of what's going to happen in this coming this coming week so that I can plan for what my character is going to do so that, you know, I don't freeze up on screen and look like I don't know what I'm doing. And then I'll have players who are like, don't you dare tell me what's yeah. going to happen. Don't you dare start planning anything because I will... I will mess it up because <laughs> I just want to play this game. And I'm like, Steven, that, that no, that doesn't, that <laughs> doesn't call, work. You're man. not going to call people out. You're just going <laughs> to, I'm going to name names, but Steven is definitely <laughs> like that. He, he is an old school gamer, right? He has played D and D for 30, 40 years. And he wants to be in a dungeon and figure out his way out of the dungeon without any hints or any help or any fore foreshadowing. Right. Only stuff that appears in the game at the table is really what he wants. He will occasionally deign to do some planning with us, which is good. That's very helpful because right. we need to do that because we're a stream. We're partly a show in addition right. to the game, right? But like he's very hands off about it. So uh, reaching out to his player in a way, his, his story, his player character story, in a way that connects with the other characters, it presents an interesting challenge too. So, yeah, it's, I think every, okay, this is going to sound weird. I think every DM who 
takes it seriously, who is like, I, I have done this. I think I am pretty good at this. I think they should try and do a live show at some point, just one session, just two yeah. sessions, just see how it goes, right. you know, cause I think it's a great challenge. And I, I'm not putting this out there as like a dare, like, ah, oh, bet you can't do this. Right. I'm saying, no, you know, put yourself out there to try and make something like this happen sometime. Yeah. Come on my show and do it. It's fine. I need guests, like I said, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been a good, a neat experience. I had a guest, uh, on a while, uh, well, it wasn't a while ago. It was a couple of weeks ago. His name is Seppi Yoon and he's a, he's a board game creator. And we were chatting on the side and he goes, and I was, he's really, he does a lot of stuff on TikTok. And I was like, I really need to up my TikTok presence. And he goes, you should, you should do this. And he's got all these ideas because you should do a, a recap of what you learned from your guest, a 15 second recap. You should do this. And we were talking about D&D because he does a lot of D&D. And I was explaining the GM workshop that I have that I'm working on coming up, which you agreed to at some point be a guest on there. I did, and, uh, I and that's going to be coming up here. I think I'm looking at March to start at some point, depending yeah. on who I can get. It's been a busy, busy couple months, but uh, he goes, and I was explaining that everybody's got a different point of view or a different opinion on gaming or a different thing. And he goes, that's what you should do on TikTok. Cause you've got like, you know, different GMs and you should do a, a, a thing about what is your, you know, what is your GM style? And they could do it in a certain thing. And, and I was like, well, and I like, I have a friend who you could give him a box set and he would take that box set or he would take an adventure path and you would never know that you were playing in a game that was pre-done. You would never know. It. And he's like, yes, that's the hamburger helper GM. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, that's hilarious. I don't know if I could come up with names for all of them. But, he, but every time I said a type of GM, he's like, it's a this GM. And he's just come up with a name. I was like, oh my God, that's a genius name for it. But it's true. Every every awesome. player in GM has a different type of style that you can kind of categorize. Like, this is what they do and this is what they're good at. Um, you know, some people are like, I'm really good at telling the story, but I'm not really good at, you know, crunching the dice or the numbers. And, you know, uh, Ed Greenwood, who you know is, he's, I don't, we don't need to roll dice. We don't need dice to play role play. You know, he's of that, that generation where it's like, they're there as a, as you know, a helper, but it's not required. Yeah. Dice are only there if you have no idea how something's going to go. Right. So, uh, yeah. and I, that was just an anecdote adding on to what, what you had just stated. Mm -hmm. Are you guys playing other games besides uh, D and D? Yes, occasionally we do. Um, and we have been talking about adding uh, an additional like subset of uh, streams to the stream because we stream once a week and we'd like to have more content. I think right. that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so we've, uh, we've talked about doing like kind of a, a round robin uh, or series of one shots kind of thing on, uh, on a different day of the week. And just okay. like, we play whatever we feel like playing that day. Um, but most of our, most of our other gaming stuff that gets incorporated into the stream is, uh, incorporated rather than we just switch gears and play something else. Um, yeah. I have, a the small reputation of starting D and D campaigns with a fiasco game, for instance, my session zero is a fiasco game where characters build relationships and uh, narrate little scenes of themselves to get a feel of the character and things go well or go wrong. And then inevitably everyone looks like fools in the end. <laughs> and then we're ready for session one. Okay. And that, that is exactly how I started the Dungeon Scrawlers uh, Westgate Irregulars campaign. They all met up in Lork, which is a little frontier town on the, out in the middle of nowhere in the, in the, um, in the uh, Western heartlands of the Forgotten Realms. It's somewhat west of Westgate. Okay. And uh, it's like a, 
I think of it as being like a desert town, like you'd see in a Western that you just ride into town and it's yeah. just full of miserable people who are just <laughs> drinking all day. That's what I think of Lork as being. It's a little bit more robust than that. Okay. But they all met up in this tavern in Lork and uh, shenanigans ensued. And there was somebody who got murdered by a shield and there was a baby that was pulled out of an international vortex. And there was a deck of many things that oof. that can never go good. Well, it can never go expected. Yeah, I suppose that's a that's a sometimes sometimes it can turn out well. And I I think if you're gonna do that to your game, you generally want to do it toward the beginning of your game rather than toward the end. Because uh toward the end, people are really attached to their characters and have a very firm sense of what their character should be like. Right. Toward the beginning of the game, they're a little bit more free, you know, and they can incorporate things that happen to them because of the cards that they drew. This is just my my deck of many things that um, one of the uh, one of oh, the Dungeon kind of Scrollers cool. got for me. Nice. Um, so yeah, it just has some of the cards. A lot of great pictures on there. Yeah, you podcasters, you're not able to see this, but yeah, it's, um, it has all <laughs> the cards and it it prints out the uh, the effect on each one too, so you don't oh, have to look nice. it up in the book. Um, we actually had somebody, they had a, something similar and they actually put, cause in roll 20, as you were talking about done about, uh, dynamic lighting, you can actually have cards that people can draw in there. And some, then he built the deck of many things and put it into roll 20. So we could actually draw the cards from the deck. It was, I was like, Oh, this is going to go badly. <laughs> <laughs> and for some people it did. Nice. Yeah, I played in a game once where um, tarot cards were part of the, uh, not the resolution mechanic, but the scene setting mechanic. Okay. That the the GM would draw a card at the beginning of every session and occasionally at the beginning of each scene uh, to kind of like define that scene to some extent, okay. which is a really neat thing to do. Yeah. Uh, it requires a certain knowledge of the tarot, which not everybody has. Um, right. I am only a novice practitioner. Um, I really like it, but I'm not that great at it either. I, I'm not going to go telling people's fortunes right. or giving right. readings professionally or even amateurishly. Yeah. But um, it's um, it's a fun storytelling device. Um. Because, you know, the tarot is embedded in so many of our stories and our legends uh, and has shaped those throughout human history um, and has such uh, images and archetypal reflections in so much of our stories. And so often um, when I'm planning stories, I look at the the journey of the tarot as kind of my as my deep skeleton of what I'm working on. Um, it's not always the case. Usually the story ends up veering wildly off, but it gives me a good starting place, you know? Right. So once well, anyway. so many systems have systems have a version of the tarot card. I think the, mm-hmm. you know, D and D had what the three dragon anti, uh, version of it and yeah. Pathfinder had the Harrow decks, which, you know, is a version, I think, you know, everything deadlands, I mean, deadlands is all, but the entire system is based around a deck of cards, or at least the non die 20 mm-hmm. version is based around a whole deck of cards. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if um, speaking of headlines, have you have is is deadlands or Star Wars or any of those kind of systems systems that you ha- have played or are interested in playing or enjoy right. playing? Let's see. So I've never played deadlands. Okay. Um, I haven't had the opportunity to, but it okay. does. It sounds interesting. Star Wars. I have played. I have played two, three, three versions of Star Wars. The original West End Games version. Yep. I played. Yep. The saga version from yep. Watsi, and I am currently playing the uh, Fantasy Flight version. Okay, um, I have not done I, the Fantasy Flight. I've done the 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 first two, and then the one that came right between them, the mm-hmm. one right before Saga that was kind of like the preemptive version of Saga before it became Saga. What right. were your thoughts? Um, I have enjoyed all of them, but uh, for me. Gaming is most enjoyable in a story context. If mm-hmm. I'm having real fun with the story, I tend to uh, overlook any problems that I might have with the system. Okay. Um, the West End Games version, the system is 
it's very fluid and it goes in lots of different directions, which right. is good because Star Wars should be a bit chaotic and a little like you should never know <laughs> like, right. wh- whether you're you have a really good chance of actually succeeding at something right. in Star Wars. Well, um, and that version also allows you to do anything, you know, because right. you, you might you might be a fighter ship captain or you might be a person who's never seen a ship in your life and you're walking around with a club. Right. And you've got to be able to be balanced in that. Yeah. I don't remember if I told you this story, but um, one of my, uh, one of my very good friends who I still game with on a regular basis, Rodney Thompson works at wizards or worked at wizards at the time and doesn't anymore. He works at Bungie now um, is basically the biggest star Wars fan in the gaming industry. Now I know he's going to get a lot of hate mail now because I made that claim about him. But anyway, you made the claim about him. He didn't make the claim. So he'll exactly. He's a very big Star Wars fan. And what he did one time was he ran us through a campaign of alternate prequels using the West End system. So basically, we went back in time 20 years before A New Hope and we just played the game like the prequels that he wanted. Right. And someone was playing Obi Wan Kenobi and someone was playing Anakin Skywalker teenage swoop bike gangster and we had some droids we had a former clone trooper we had me who was the treacherous alien who turned out to be a sith apprentice all along it was great i had a really good time with that game and i think that it was more the campaign that rodney ran than the system that really got me to love that particular game. If I were just playing the West End Star Wars system on its own in the hands of a lesser GM, it probably wouldn't have worked out quite as well. And I I know that because I have, I have. (laughs) And and it was eh, like, how many Wookiees exactly are there? How many bowcasters they have? I think you might've embraced the aesthetic a little bit too much then. How many dice six do you have in your bag? That's right. In In our fantasy flight game, um, it's called Destiny Reforged, and uh, the guy who's running it um, is also a very large Star Wars fan, but he has a specific gripe with Star Wars, which is that he does not like the rise of Skywalker, like okay. the ninth movie. Yeah. He's fine, generally, with Disney Star Wars. Which and this is uh, this is Spike Murphy Rose. I don't know if you know who he is. He's a gaming person, uh, mostly a gamer, not as much a designer. But okay. he has some great opinions about about gaming stuff, and uh, he doesn't like the Rise of Skywalker. He liked the the sequel trilogy up until that point. Okay. He was like, oh, really into it. And he was like, oh, I'm really interested in where Last Jedi is going. And then he's like, oh, I see. So um, his game is kind of patterned around our characters in the part of the galaxy right after The Last Jedi, where he's just kind of, he's reworking how things go. Right. So it's, again, it's that alternate Star Wars story, rather than we're trying to fit our story in and around the gaps. Right. It's an alternate story. We're not the main characters of the galaxy, though. Right. We're like this side group of smugglers and bounty hunters who are out doing things. Yeah. We were frozen in carbonite for 20 years because most of us are from the uh, pre-galactic era. Like yeah. my character is a former inquisitor. Okay. Inquisitors were a thing in the like Jedi Fallen Order era, right, which right. is before the first movie. But I got frozen in carbonite, and now here I am, 30 years after the the original movies yeah and uh cyborg ninja it's it's pretty great <laughs> right well i just learned I, I just learned force lightning it's pretty great nice and that's another thing that i always i always liked about role-playing star wars uh, one of my favorite things was like and just role-playing in general like the canon is great but if the characters change canon i like it when the, the characters can affect the world so yes if somehow by some weird instance like you change what happens in the next movie well it's an alternate universe so that's okay you know yeah. you're, you're not actually going to go and change the movie with your role-playing game but you can change and tell a different story and it's unique and it becomes your own and you can embrace right. it and have fun with yeah. it 
Canon is a starting point. Yeah. It's a mutual language that you can all speak because, I mean, we've all seen Star Wars. Yeah. We've all seen those original movies, except for some very strange people who have just not. And it's, it's remarkable to come across them in the wild. But um, generally speaking, everyone at the gaming table has seen Star Wars. We all have an opinion of what Star Wars is like. We all have some basic universal touchstones. And it is from there that the GM and the game can expand upon our current understanding and really shape things. So it's much easier for the GM to come to you and say, hey, it's canonical except blah, 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 blah. These things don't apply versus the GM coming to you and saying, okay, it's a whole brand new world and this 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 and they go through, you know, 50, 60 pages of text. And it's, it's much harder to get emotionally invested in that because you're flailing around looking for something to attach yourself to, but, you know, in an existing property, be it Forgotten Realms or Star Wars or Star Trek or Shadowrun or any of these games, like everyone has an existing notion of what these things are and can connect themselves to it, you know? So I think Canon is an important tool, but Canon is not something that should be preserved and kept sacred at all times. Right. I mean, I love this game. Yeah, I love the Forgotten Realms. I, you know, have lived this thing for many years, decades at this point. And I'm still like, no, go forth and make it your own. That's what it's for. Right. Right. It's it's a tool. It's not supposed to be slavishly obeyed. I and and it's not possible to slavishly obey it. I can I couldn't make the dungeon scrawlers 100 percent canonically accurate or consistent. Right. Right. Because the second I start talking about the realms, I'm not obeying the canon because I'm not at Greenwood. Whatever right. I say about the realms is not canonical necessarily. I can right. repeat things that I know that are canonical, but I can't when I have to make something up, I have to make something up. And it's not something that is canon. You yeah, know, definitely. So. I agree. You had the. uh we were talking about comic book stuff a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. superhero stuff. What about superhero role-playing games? Let's see. So most of my superhero gaming, I have done superhero games. Mm-hmm. Um, I played the short-lived Margaret Weiss Marvel heroic role-playing system, which is really fun. It's basically, it's a Cortex-based game. So if you played uh, Firefly, the Firefly role-playing game, mm-hmm. I think it's, I did. I think I it's did similar bit. to that. Okay. Um, and the uh, forthcoming, I think still forthcoming, Dragon Prince related role playing game wow. is also in the Cortex system. Okay. Um, basically, it's a you com, um, you compile dice pools from skills, aptitudes, uh, you know, situation, circumstances, and then you roll and you add some of them together to determine what happens rather than just a straight D20 roll to determine if you hit or miss. Yeah. Things like that. Uh, So you can have layers of success uh, and a certain effect, uh, which can vary depending on what you roll. Uh, And that was a lot of fun. That system didn't last very long because Margaret Weiss created the system like a year before Disney bought Marvel. Oh. And Disney essentially uh, demanded too much money from Margaret Weiss Productions. And they're like, we're a game design company. Right. <laughs> we're, we're not going to give you a million dollars a year to keep this game going. And they're like, okay, well, we'll take that license. So it's off the shelves. You can't get it anymore. They should have paid her to keep running it for them is what they should have done. <laughs> well, there's a new Marvel uh, role-playing system that Matt Forbeck is designing. Okay. And you, you know Matt, obviously. I know of him. You know of him. Okay. He is uh, the nicest guy in gaming is okay. his reputation. And he earns it because he is a really great guy. But he's also a huge Marvel Comics fan. And he's been designing a, uh, a new Marvel role-playing system which uh, I got to play test for. It was pretty oh, fun. Nice, so nice. we'll see how that is goes. Is there a comparison? Is it like a die 20 type? 
the concept um, or is it like a you know like a die 10 or like what I can believe, you compare it closely to i believe it uses d10s okay but it's it's its own brand new proprietary okay. system all right uh i guess it's it's most similar to the Marvel Phase Rip system, okay. which I have also played. I played once because we did a Phase Rip Legend of the Five Rings mashup. Mm-hmm. So it was like Marvel Samurai. It was really yeah. fun. I love, um, I love every time I hear that system, everybody's got a different, they call it something different. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And that's, um, an old, that's an old system, by the way. Yeah. People so it's, it's a little bit like that system. Uh, each, each letter of the uh, resolution mechanics is uh m-a-r-v-e-l it's pretty great mm-hmm. so um i i don't want to give away more than that because it's still it's yeah, still yeah. um in testing yep yep, yep. no but um it's fun i just have to get them on to talk about it That's, yeah just you should it, it has it has good potential um and let's see i have also played the uh cypher system as a uh superhero game okay. which was pretty fun i enjoyed that a great deal as well um i really broke the gm's campaign though because like he did not anticipate people building kind of optimized builds and the rest of the party didn't and i was like oh this and this and this and i you know i wasn't entirely optimized but i still kicked a lot of butt right right well you're a superhero that just means you're the superman of the group. exactly (laughs) exactly you know, well, we were we were all superheroes, but some of us were like scrappy, I fire a blast of energy sort of superheroes. And some of us were like, my power is that I'm really good at fighting. That was me. Yeah. I was um, essentially magic wielding Electra or something in that game. Okay. And uh, it it was pretty great. I would I would just tank like gangs of ninjas they would all just compile on me and i'm just like and everybody else is like okay and i'm like save the civilians finish the quest i'll take care of these guys i was not the most powerful member of the group though that was the time manipulating guy who could literally freeze people in place or travel through time one of the main villains of course was you know his time display self from the future that kind of thing yeah definitely you ever played the mutants and mastermind system oh my gosh okay so i have never played mutants and masterminds i have come close a couple of times okay but the game has always fallen apart before it ever actually happened oh no and i would really like to do so that is one of my favorite systems i'm not great at running it um i have run it but it's if the system is built to make broken like you can do whatever you want but keep in mind this so can everyone else and you still right. have levels and whatnot. And so there's like maximums that you can hit. So your right. tier is based on how high things can go. And mm-hmm. as long as you've got the points, you can do it. And there are some really disgusting, uh, um, I've seen some really bad builds, but they, it can be a lot of fun and it can be a lot of story driven games mm-hmm. uh, depending on who's running it. So yeah, it's definitely, yep. it's my, it's actually my favorite. I actually thought that it would be a fun because you can do so much things and you can do anything, I thought big, uh, doing a doing a game where everybody was an anime character using that system would also be a lot of fun. Like a pre-existing anime character or a new anime character? Yeah, either or. Okay. Either or. I always thought I always thought that it was kind of a lot of animes are set kind of in similar worlds. So like, yes, Ninja Scroll is like a feudal Japan with monsters but that but there could, also, could be a crossover but that could be a post-apocalyptic world either also so mm-hmm. you could have it like in an akira world and it's just like on a different continent or something as well so i mean and i'm going with old anime references right there but... i i think that would be really fun no i got him you know, <laughs> anyway, yeah. everybody, everybody in the world has jumping at a high tier so when they jump and you see the like the little things the, the anime lights going by when they jump in the air for five hours nice yeah um <laughs> We were talking earlier about uh, Cobalt City. Cobalt City yes. was originally a Mutants and Masterminds campaign that oh, Nate was? Crowder was running. Okay. Um, and I never got to participate in any of that. It, the campaign was long over before I started contributing to the fictional world. But um, that's where it comes from. And uh, one of the characters, my sort of like signature writing character, mm-hmm. Stardust, who is 
I describe him as the Tony Stark of the Cobalt City universe. Okay. Nate, who is the creator of the Cobalt City universe, describes him as the booster gold of the <laughs> Cobalt City universe. Okay. You can see and, a lot of similarities in those characters, though. Really. Yeah. Yeah. So where those similarities are, that's where this character is. Okay. 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 And um, there was one particular moment because he was a PC in that original campaign. Nate tells me the story um, because he has super strength. Like his suit gives him super strength. His suit is powered by these star bands, which have this, you know, extra, extra plant, um, extraterrestrial material, whatever. Anyway, he lands on this bridge and there's a speeding truck coming, which has the bad guy in this truck. And he's like, okay, I'm going to stop the truck with my super strength. And Nate's like, so you have super strength, but you don't have super mass. Right. <laughs> and he's like, no, I think my strength will take care of it. And Nate's like, okay, roll for it. And so he ends up being obviously pushed along on the front of this truck. Like, why isn't this working? And that, right. that's, that's about a, a perfect uh, summation of the character. Good intentions that always go awry. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Uh, do you have anything more recent that you've done with Cobalt City? Uh, okay, so the most recent Cobalt City anthology, Dragonstorm, uh, in which the Yellow King, yes, that Yellow King, uh, sends dragons to attack the mortal plane, uh, recently came out just a few months ago. And I have a story in that called uh, Mother of Harlots. Uh, it was originally supposed to be called Mother Harlot, which is a reference to the... Um, the horror of Babylon from the book of revelation, because mm -hmm. the story takes place in the fever imagination of a fundamentalist religious girl who um, pictures everything in apocalyptic terms. Okay. And there's a big dragon with a lot of heads and a lot of horns. So, all right. And my characters have to go kill it or at least keep it from destroying the world. But how long is the story? Hmm. 8,000 words, 10,000 okay. words, something okay. like that. Awesome. They can get that anywhere. Amazon, Amazon books, Amazon. I'm pretty sure online. All right. Yeah. Great. Great. Do you have anything else that you have going on that you, that you want to talk about? Obviously we talked about, we talked quite a bit about role-playing and dungeon scrollers. So I'm writing this novel, which I can't really talk about. It involves okay. dragons. Uh, it is tied to a forthcoming iOS game. Okay. That's really all I can say, except that I took this contract to write this novel in two months. It's due at the end of February, and I started it at the end of December. It's a 60 to 100,000 word novel that I get to write in uh, about 70 days. And I am around 80,000 words so far. So I've written 80,000 words in the last month and a half. Dear God. <laughs> and um yeah it's it's been going pretty well i i like how the book is unfolding um we'll see how it how it develops awesome do you are you um, put within certain constraints where it's like you have to do this for the story or do you have to like go back and forth or is it just kind of like it's they put it's it in your hands and and they're like you can do it okay yeah they gave me a certain, obviously you can't give too yeah many sure details, they gave me a certain amount of setting details and then it's back and forth i asked them for clarification they give me some of the answers some of it they don't know yeah a lot of it is about uh what dragons are like what kind of dragons there are what dragons do okay. that kind of thing because the game has a lot of dragons in it okay um, is this something that we might see in and uh, obviously i talk all the time about audiobooks is this something we might see in an audiobook fashion I don't know. We'll see. You don't know? Okay. Well, hopefully no, we do. Um, hopefully we do. My uh, my contract is a little bit vague on okay. exactly what they're going to do with it once they have it. All right. Well, so. I hope you get all of the things and you get a movie deal. Oh, that thanks. Sound? That'd be awesome. <laughs> um, let's see. I, uh, I have a long overdue um, superhero novel that I wrote about my Lady Vengeance character who shows mm -hmm. up in some of the Cobalt City stuff that I've written. Um, I actually have a, an, a full-on novel that I wrote about her and her supporting characters, uh, which I am intending to bring out at some point. I was going to put it through Kickstarter to get uh, funds, but we'll see how that develops. And that would, the current plan is to put that out through DEFCON Press or the same people who have done the other Cobalt City stuff. Okay. Um, 
uh, just a they're a small local Seattle-based uh, small publisher and um, run by some friends of mine, and uh, they do some really good work. I wanted to give them a shout out because uh, their stuff is fun and light and well worth your time. Um, except for Nate Crowder's book, Resistance, which is uh, fun, but not light. It is uh, specifically a resistance to a uh, fascist political movement that takes over the United States in the Cobalt City universe. Okay. Uh, led by um, Lyle... Lawrence Lyle, Lyle Prather, who is a uh, um, talk show host in the in that universe. Okay. Turned politician and uh, avatar of the Yellow King. So. Oh. so things are all tying in. Is that what you're telling us? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it is. Uh, and it's, it's not just like people being upset about fascists for a long time. I mean, it is that, but that's, that's not my point. What I'm saying is that um, it really, it, it digests the ways various people would react to their government fundamentally betraying them and their society. Some people uh, think it's not such a big deal. Some people think it is. Some people kind of find ways to get into the system and try and redeem it from inside with mixed results. Yeah. Some people don't, it breaks a lot of long established friendships. It's um, it's a harrowing, but important book. So highly recommended Cobalt city resistance by awesome. Nate Crowder. Awesome. You should have Nate on your show, by the way. I'm just going to do I, Maybe afterwards I should just sit down and you should just give me I'll a get you, list of names. I'll, get you a list. And I'll just go down the list of names. Cause it's, it's, it's uh, one of the things about being in the industry for a long time is that I know a lot of people and I, I constantly think, yeah, yeah, this person would be great. And you should definitely talk to them. Right. Yeah. Well, and I just, I'll I'm, give you a list. I'm constantly like, oh, I should probably get, and then I look, I'm like, I've got, I've got so many names on this list that I got to contact. <laughs> and then every once in a while, I'm like, who do I need to contact? I, I'm, I'm behind on scheduling. I should probably send out some emails here. And then I, you know, inevitably it's like, I sit down and within the next day or two, I get three months, you know, backed up. So it's a good, it's a good problem to have. We'll see. Exactly. If Could it keeps be. up, I might have to add some to my workload and make this a once a week instead of a bi-weekly sort of thing. Oh no, you I are know. suffering so terribly. Oh no. What, uh, <laughs> where can people find you on social media? Okay. So on Twitter, it's just my full name, Eric Scott to be is my handle. Um, I'm also on Facebook under my full name as well. Okay. Um, and watch our show, uh, Twitch TV slash Dungeon Scrawlers, S-C-R-A-W-L-E-R-S, Scrawlers, because we're writers in a, uh, in a dungeon. It. I love it. Um, interestingly enough, uh, WizKids has come out with a product of their own called Dungeon Scrawlers, which is um, a dungeon mapping game. Um, produced uh, for uh, for a young audience, like yeah. um, teens, preteens, um, and it's apparently quite fun. But it, it doesn't actually have anything to do with us. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> so, just uh, just a coincidence. Well, hopefully, there's no uh, crossing of the lines. If you guys get too big, there's no. Oh well, I'm hoping that you know we can work together and talk yeah. about them on our show. Yeah, that would be awesome. We can give away product. Call yeah. us, WizKids. That's what I'm saying. There you go, WizKids. <laughs> Do it. Do it. Anyway. Awesome. Yeah. Well, let me run through our list of upcoming guests, um, you know, for the for the future podcasts. Obviously, we will reschedule Luke Daniels uh, we were, as soon as he gets healthy. Uh, best wishes to him and his family. Hopefully, they all recover and uh, we can get them rescheduled and we will let you guys know as soon as we get Luke Daniels rescheduled. Uh, February 21st, we get author, comic writer, Scott Mayer. He does the series Wizard 2.0, The Authorities, Run Program, and Grand Theft, Grand Theft Astro. Um, he is, his books are also narrated by Luke Daniels. So that'll be February 21st. March 7th, game designer, Nikki Valens. They've worked on Star Wars Empire versus Rebellion, Arkham Horror, Mansions of Madness, uh, Eldritch Horror, and a ton more. So they will be joining us on March 7th. March 21st, we're going to shift gears. We're going to get from Paranormal Night Shift on Discovery Plus. 
uh, the host and producer of Darkness Radio, Tim Dennis, is going to be joining us. Uh, he's been doing Darkness Radio for over 16 years, been doing radio shows. I think he said, I think he told me 20 or 30 years. He's been doing it for a long time. So we're going to talk all things paranormal uh, and see what the future holds for both Darkness Radio and Discovery Plus's Paranormal Night Shift. That's March 21st. So make sure to follow and subscribe to us wherever you're listening to this. Uh, leave a rating and a review. It helps us get more eyes on us and get more eyes on our guests and their products as well. Um, for Eric Scott to be, I am Nick, and thank you for listening to Epic Realms. Well, there you are. I hope you enjoyed yourselves, and I do hope that you come back and join us again for Epic Realms. Yeah.